Good afternoon. Good evening. You're back on equal footing. That was a quick transition from the previous show. All right. We've got a big question on the table tonight. Let's see if we get that if we're allowed to stay on the air uh, after this one. Question is Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, the greatest prophet, the greatest patriarch. Was he an altruist or an egotist? Now stay with me on this one. Obviously, the ego plays an important role in our spiritual path. We battle with pride. Is there a productive role that comes from the ego as an observant Jew, as a deist in general, or is the ego always to be annihilated? We know that our patriarch, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, was the humblest of all men, of all people, but the gentleman certainly had a temper. He had pride. There are several instances of that in Chumash. We're going to talk about that tonight. Do these aspects of ourself stand in opposition? Or is it, or is there, is there no dissonance? In fact, can one be an egotist and an altruist? We've got two guests ready to wrestle with this sensitive subject. Boy, we had a lot of prospective guests that were Afraid to get on the air talking about something so sensitive. And that's always a sign that we've got something that needs to be addressed. Let's start with Professor David Weddle. He's been a guest here on Equal Footing before. Professor Weddle is a professor emeritus of religion at Colorado College. He's taught courses in comparative theology and ethics, American religion, philosophy of religion. Professor Weddle has been uh, chair of the department. He's been on various faculty committees. He taught at Cornell College in Iowa. He chaired the Department of Religion there for 20 years. David Weddle has served as the president of the American Theological Society in the Midwest. He's a lifetime honorary member of the American Academy of Religion. He's the author of wonderful books like Miracles, Wonder and Meaning in World Religion, and Sacrifice. We talked about this. He was on a program several weeks ago talking about sacrifice in the Abrahamic faiths. He wrote a book called Sacrifice in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. He's also penned numerous scholarly articles and book reviews. His current essays examine the role of religion in American politics. Boy, that's a hot button. Professor Weddle lives with Sharon, his wife of 60 years, in Woodland Park, Colorado, near Colorado Springs. I only regret that when we were in Colorado a couple of weeks ago, we did a, a show from there. We weren't able to actually visit you in person, Professor Weddle. Thanks for coming on again. Welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Professor Weddle, you are bravely joined by a dear friend and a wonderful uh, voice in the rabbinic community who puts his actions where his theology is, Rabbi Yossi Brisky. Rabbi Brisky is a director at the Aleph Institute. He's there. He's director of alternative sentencing there. He advocates for rehabilitative alternatives to incarceration at sentencing hearings around the country. Rabbi Brisky is one of the kindest, most empathic people that I have met in my spiritual path, and I owe a very significant life debt to him. Rabbi Brisky studied at the Lubavitcher Yeshiva in Brooklyn and the Rabbinical College of America in Morristown, New Jersey. Rabbi Brisky was sent to assist in the establishment of yeshiva in the old Jewish ghetto of Venice, Italy, 
I didn't know that, Rabbi Brisky. That's very cool. Where he also received his rabbinic ordination. Rabbi Brisky is partnered with Rabbi Pinchas Alush, who was on the program a couple of weeks ago to a wonderful congregation in Scottsdale, Arizona, where he lives with his wife and six children. Rabbi Brisky, welcome to Equal Footing for the first time. I can't believe it. Thank you very much. Good evening. All right. So let's, let's get into it. First of all, we're going to, on this program, interchange Moses, the English reference to the great patriarch, and Moshe means the same thing, Moshe being in the Hebrew. Actually, uh, Moshe is a Egyptian name. It comes from the story of uh, Moses being drawn out from the basket on the river Nile. The the name, I think, uh, is Mishisihu, in, originally in the ancient Egyptian. So when you hear Moshe or Moshe Rabbeinu, the honorific title, or Moses in this program, we're talking about the same person. Professor Weddle, get us started off with a, a, a very, most listeners probably know who Moses or Moshe was, but to frame the discussion for tonight that delves into the kind of motivations, if, if, as, as it were, of, of his uh, acts on earth, uh, what, give us the, the quick timeline. Who was this? When did he live? What's the general uh, story of, of, of Moses? And then, Rabbi Brisky, please listen uh, carefully and fill in anything left. Yes, I will appreciate any, any additions uh, Rabbi Brisky wishes to make. Uh, you alluded to the fact that Moses, as a child, escaped from persecution by being set forth in the Nile River uh, and was discovered by the Pharaoh's daughter, he was taken into the Egyptian household, raised there. But when he came of age, he realized his identity as an Israelite. And when he saw an Egyptian oppressing an Israelite as uh, as a slave, Moses came to his defense and killed the Egyptian, which meant then he had to flee from Egypt. He went to the land of his wife's father, Jethro, and there, while tending flocks, he saw a bush that burned but was not consumed. And when he approached it, the voice of God came to him, commissioning him to go to the Pharaoh and demand that he let the people of Israel go. When Moses asked, well, who is sending me? The voice replied, I am that I am. And that is the revelation of God's personal name. With that authority, Moses goes to Egypt, confronts the Pharaoh, who, of course, refuses to release the slaves. And so, with God's sanction, Moses calls down ten plagues, the last of which is the death of the firstborn son in every Egyptian household. That was enough for Pharaoh to release the people. They escaped. But shortly afterward, Pharaoh uh, came after them in pursuit. They got to the shore of the Red Sea. Moses raises his rod, and the waters part and the people are able to cross the sea on dry land. Then Moses waves his rod again, and the waves come in on the Egyptians. 
Then Moses becomes the main guide with his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam through 40 years of wilderness wandering, which begins in the Sinai Peninsula, moves into the Transjordan area, and ultimately brings the people to the border of the promised land of Canaan. And that brings us to our passage for tonight, when Moses receives the bad news that neither he nor Aaron will be allowed to enter the promised land. Right now, Professor, let's let you breathe for a moment there, and maybe Rabbi Briskew can take it from here. Obviously, the Professor there is referring to this week's Parsha, this week's uh, section of the Torah as we approach the end of, of Moshe Rabbeinu's life. What happens now? Well, first of all, I wish that the professor had been my teacher back in the day, because uh, take such a long story and uh, give it over in such a concise, clear way. I don't think I've ever had a teacher like that. And uh, there's not much to add in the details of the story, so I will have to focus on Moshe being chosen. I'm going to focus in on that burning bush. Why is he the one that gets to experience that? And why is he the best candidate to do all the things that the good professor just mentioned Moses ends up doing? And the answer is, found in the Medrash, that Moses is a shepherd, a simple shepherd, and he has his father-in-law's sheep and notices that one of the sheep in the flock has taken a detour, moved out into the desert, and he chases after it. Apparently, it takes a really long time. When he gets to it, his first reaction is to lift the sheep up on his shoulders and say lovingly, you must be thirsty. You must be yearning for something. You must des- you desire something. Why else would you have run away? First reaction usually is a person gets frustrated and You know, you sort of uh, try to talk yourself down from your anger. And uh, most God looks down and says, wow, that's his first reaction. Something must be not okay with you, and I'm going to see if I can can help you. And then he sees the burning bush, Mm. and God says, I want you to be the one to go to Egypt. I am who I am. Tell them I sent you, because God says, I am not looking for some powerful uh, leadership qualities as will be defined over the horrible leaders that will exist over the time on earth. But rather, I'm looking for somebody who's selfless, someone who cares about the little guy. Maybe today's politicians claim they do that, but in fact, God wants a real selfless individual who's ready to take care of the little guy who's off the real, the regular path of Torah off the regular path of, of, you know, society, and to bring them back lovingly. Now, Re- Professor Weddle, let's build on, thank you, Rabbi Briskin. Rabbi Briskin is, is talking about here Moses' extraordinary compassion and humility, and there's no controversy in talking about that on the air. Obviously, uh, Hashem, God seeing Moses' behavior as a shepherd, which Rabbi Briskin just went through, he's often referred to as the the most humble uh, person in in, in history, uh, there are so many examples of his uh, humility and and putting the people before himself. 
you know, when, when God wants to eliminate Israel after the, uh, the sin of the golden calf, uh, idolatry, it's Moses who, who, who says, who, who advocates, uh, for that not to happen at his own risk. Uh, stories of him remembering the patriarch Joseph's bones at the last minute prior to Exodus to make sure they're brought into the land of Canaan. Uh, even, even small things like, you know, we often don't ta- like to get in-laws advice, but he takes his father-in-law Jethro's advice to set up a court system. There's lots of examples of humility. What gets us a little bit maybe into hot water, Professor Weddle, does it not, are the examples of what appear to be like a, a, a quite a strong ego as well. I mean, this, the, this, uh, this, person is of course an, identifies as an egyptian prince is raised in his egyptian prince uh you said in one of our pregame discussions professor Weddell, it's kind of understandable that he would have a big ego he is speaking face to face with god the only the only of the prophets who 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 does that um and there are examples as well aren't there of of of, of anger and, and impatience and 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 pride do you want to walk us through professor Weddell, what those uh, are when does when do we see uh, when do we see the, the the pride of of Moses or, or or anger and impatience? Well, I would describe it more as Moses' style of leadership, which is marked by supreme confidence, in part because he does have conversations with the Creator of the universe. I think, at the very least, I would give anyone an enhanced sense of self-esteem. Moses is able to proceed with utter confidence that he is being personally commissioned by God. Uh, And the symbol of that commissioning is his rod. And when he uses his rod, that is when Moses asserts his own authority, uh, his own sense of what is right and wrong. When Moses takes up the rod, he's usually looking for something to smite. And in judgment that is sanctioned by God. So in those, in those instances, I think we have not a kind of self-obsessed pride so much as a supreme confidence that what he is doing is sanctioned by God. Now, Rabbi Brisky, when we talk about Moses' rod or his his staff, which is clearly the, this this symbol of authority and also source of miracles, there is a story that's that seems to be about pride, the, the striking of the rock at Horeb and the consequences of that. Do, do you want to walk us through that mystical moment? Sure. The historical context is important, but I'll mention it very briefly. The 40 years prior to the incident that you're referring to, to that episode, uh, he is told to take his staff and to actually reach out and hit the rock. This is when the Jews, the very beginning of the 40 years, are, are coming to a place called Marah and the bitter waters and it's, it's, you know, they're complaining as Jews tend to do. They're fetching. And uh, Moshe is told to do exactly that. Forty years later, doing during Exodus. <laughs> that's right. And he puts up with it to to a great extent, and at the same time tries to guide. Let's remember that Moshe's name and his title is not Moshe the Great, 
Moshe the Amazing doesn't have an honorary title. He's called Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe the teacher, our teacher. His job is to teach, and he's called his the adjective that's that's attached. The not honorific. It's a it's it's a, a statement of his job. His job is to do whatever God says, and in that way, whether it's hitting or speaking to a rock, his job is to convey something to the people. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, just to use another example of the, what ha- term, the title. What happens oh, when sorry. he hits the, so, sorry, just for those that don't know, what's, what's going on here? Why is he hitting this rock, and is he doing something wrong when he hits the rock? This is a key moment, right? He, big, big consequence comes from this. So 40 years later, God says, take the staff. I mean, it already gets a bit confusing because he's being told specifically to speak to the rock. The well dried up. There was a well that, that came about in the honor, in honor of Miriam, the sister of Moses. And because she had just passed away in this uh, narrative here, um, it dries up. The Jewish people complain. They fetch again. And God says, I want you to take your staff and stretch out your hand and speak to the rock. And Moses starts to speak to the rock. The rock is not the correct, is not the right rock, the one that God intended for him to be speaking to. And so, of course, it doesn't give forth water. The Jewish people start to grumble. Okay, it seems like it seems like this ain't this ain't working. And uh, we're used to things working. So, what's going on? And Moses says, "You think if I, what do you think is going to happen here? That if I'm if if." Uh, if I talk to the to, to the to the wrong rocket, the water's going to come out. This is not a game. This is again, it's a teaching moment. And he says to the Jewish people, "I have to I have to do this in a specific way because God dictates how this comes about, and I'm a follower of what He told me to do. And I'm going to try again, and the, the correct rock comes. And uh, this this time He hits the rock." And I guess we'll get to a more mystical interpretation, but it sounds like you want to hear what the Torah says literally in the Bible. And he hits the rock, and nothing happens because that wasn't exactly what God had dictated to him. And uh, he hits uh, he hits again a second time, and the water rushes forth, comes out, and God gets upset. He says, you and Aaron had a chance to sanctify my name, to go through this process in a way where it's clear that you're following my directions exactly, and a rock, which is a in, an inanimate object, listens to God when it when it when when God decrees that water should come forth from a dry rock. The rock listens. How much more so? The Jewish people would have said to themselves in such a situation where Moses spoke to the rock. How much more so when Moses speaks to us the word of God? Absolutely, we are living creatures, smart creatures, and uh, we, we ought to listen to the word of God coming from Moses, we'll, like the rock. We'll get back to after him. our first break, Rabbi Brisky, to the mystical meaning. But sure. carry us into the break, Professor Weddle, because another thing happens right at this moment, which is often referred to, or at least debated, as a moment of, of pride. And after the break, we'll also get into kind of how does pride fit in to greatness and uh, spiritual greatness? Is it can it go hand in yeah, hand? But, but before before we go to the break, he, he, Moses does more than uh, that, right? He also is refers to himself and his brother as opposed to attributing God attributing to God the miracles. Is that is that not part of yeah. what's going on? I do want to defend 
Moses after we come back from the break? Because I think this is just Moses being Moses. <laughs> okay, you know what? Let's take the break and let you do that when we come back. We'll be right back with Professor David Weddle, Rabbi Yossi Brisky, bravely. And we'll get back to the, after the break as well. Right, why I say that bravely? Bravely discussing ego in the spiritual path, using the example of our great patriarch Moses. Moses, altruist or egotist? We'll be right back. With lovers and friends, I still can recall some are dead and some are living. In my life, I've loved them all. Ah, I wish we had Leonard Cohen on every episode. One of his songs in his vast library fits into every topic of religious or spiritual inquiry. <laughs> All right. Got to get to our sponsors. Equal Footing is brought to you partly by DocuVax. DocuVax, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. Check it out. Very easy to use digital medical records locker. You have all your like vaccine information, your lab results, your x-rays, your MRIs, all this stuff, your blood test results, sitting in different places, different files, electronically and not. Put it all in one central storage facility that's easy to validate, easy to access, confidential, and it's HIPAA compliant. Only $6.99 per month. DocuVac subscribers, you can access all of your medical records. Just download them once in any format. Take a photograph of them, PDF, scan, Email in them, email them in, whatever. And then once you have all your medical data there, medical professionals, doctors and nurses are on call for you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to validate your vaccine records, explain your blood test results, forward on test results to a uh, specialist to get an appointment rather having to pay that annoying general practitioner appointment fee up front. You can do anything else you need with your medical records in your locker once you sign up. Again, it's less than $7 a month. And your medical data is never accessible to anybody else but you as an as a subscriber unless you want to share it privately. And when you share it, you use a proprietary QR code-based system that keeps your data secure and allows you to share elements of your medical information without the whole file. Why does someone always need to know your age? even your gender, any other information, you just share what you need to get into a concert venue, to get a new job, even if you're if you're signing up your kids to get into a new school, whatever. Your medical records or your kids' medical records do not belong to the government. They don't belong to your insurance company. They don't even belong to your doctor, although they may use them. They belong to you. So take control of your medical file. Sign up. Here's how you do it. You can go to docuvax.com. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com. Or on iPhone or your Android device, go to the App Store and just type in DocuVax, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X. You can download the app and sign up easily. There's a free trial period. Give it a shot. And if you are a small business owner and you want to sponsor group discounts like you would like a health club membership and uh, you keep your sick days low and so forth, you want to make sure you can validate employees' vaccine records privately you can sign up and get group discounts. If you mention you heard about DocuVax on equal footing, call 833-859-1933. That's for DocuVax group discounts. Make sure you mention you heard the ad on equal footing on the equal footing radio show. 833-859-1933. I've been caught. Right, you're 
back on equal footing and we're talking about the ego and we're doing it at our own risk through the prism of talking of, of about our greatest patriarch, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses the teacher. Why do I say at our own risk? Well, I got to read this. There was a, a wonderful rabbi who I love. I'm not going to mention his name because I'm not, I don't want to put him down. We're all entitled to our opinion. And I asked him about being on the show talking about the question of pride and particularly Moses's pride. And here's what he said to me in a, in a, in a text message. And this is a gentleman who's always happy to be on our show. He said, we once asked Rabbi Steinsaltz to speak about Moses and Shalom Bait, peace in the home, in light of the story of Moses and his wife, Zipporah. He replied, it's impossible and prohibited to learn anything about the personal life of Moses. And that is exactly why Miriam was punished. Miriam was afflicted with leprosy in, in Humash and in, in, in Torah for questioning Morris's authority. That's my little parenthetical because she tried to do so. That is Miriam, I guess, was thinking about Moses's personal life. Kind of reasonable, I think. Miriam was Moses's older sister. But anyway, and this uh, this person goes on to say, therefore, I'm unable to speak to Moses' personal attributes in any way since I do not want to receive the same result that Miriam did. Okay, I've got a smile on my face, but listen, there are folks that think that even by talking about something, they're putting it on the table to discuss that um, we punished, maybe we turned to... Anyway, in this case, we afflicted with leprosy, God forbid. Um, there's a lot of things here. First of all, Rabbi Brisket, can you give us a little blessing, please? A little hashkafa, at least on... on Is it okay for us to even ask these questions as it relates to our own life and how ego fits into our own path? Before we get back to Moshe Rabbeinu and, and Professor Weddle's defense of, of Moses hitting the rock at Horeb. Oh, absolutely. We, we speak of Moses not in personal terms, and I, I do respect Rabbi Stengzalt, and I do completely understand that if we relate to him as a man among men, and we see him from our own perspectives, we're going to question and we're going to judge and say, wow, who else will break such a, a cube of sapphire which has the... Ten Commandments inscribed on them that he got from God and throw it to the foot of the mountain. Wow, I, I can imagine if I did that, it would only be after I got extremely, extremely angry. Well, okay, there's a problem there. You're, you're, you're ascribing, you know, you're, you're putting yourself into the story of a person who's half man, half godly, Isho Alekina, as it says in the Psalms. But we're talking about Moshe as a Rabbeinu, as a teacher. What? Our, our, we're talking about our association with him, what he gives to us and what we take from him. And therefore, if, if he exudes confidence, which is a great term that uh, Professor Weddle is using, um, then, then that's something we ought to find out. Like how do we get to that level of confidence that he has? All right. So, so I see no problem with that. Thank you, Robert Briske. I appreciate that. Thank you for, for saving me from the ire of, of listeners. And look at this. It's, it's, uh, I've, I've already stepped in it and we're, we're only about a third of the way through the show. Thank you for a listener correcting me. Of course, that wasn't Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen's coming later. And I just love Leonard Cohen so much. Always thinking that it's, <laughs> we have to go the other. That was Johnny Cash doing, uh, a, a version of the Beatles song. Sorry about that. Uh, Beatles fans, Johnny Cash fans. Leonard Cohen's fans, I'm sorry to all of you. Okay, so another piece of housekeeping we got to get out of the way. Call and participate in this discussion about, let's call it Moses' confidence. The number to call in and ask a question about Moses' confidence or ego or pride or strength or power, 
718-303-9090 is the number. 718-303-9090. If you want to hear your voice on the air, you don't have to say your name if you're shy. If you rather text, I know many listeners prefer to text in question or comment. You can do so, attributing your name or confidentially uh, uh, to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062 to text in a question or comment. So, all right, before you defend Moses here, Professor Weddle, I, I just want to make sure we get this out on the table because I think we're dancing around. There is what at least to a layman, looks like an unmistakable example of the ego here. Not the superego, but but pride. And and that is when hitting the rock, which you're supposed to speak to the rock, but Moshe Rabbeinu, when he hits the rock, also refers to, uses the, the we, like the, the, refers to him and, and his brother Aaron as the one who's kind of doing that task as opposed to Hashem. Is that not the case? <laughs> There are so many things here. I'm sure the rabbi feels the same way, that we could use a couple more hours. But let me just say that this story is one of those twice-told tales in the Bible. The wilderness wanderings begin with the people's thirst, and the Lord tells Moses to take his rod, strike a rock, and water will come out. This rock is given the same name as the one in Numbers 20 at the end of the wandering, namely Meravah, or quarrel, or dispute. Now, with the exception that this time, God says, take your rod. Moses knows what that's, what that's about. He's about to strike something. But then he's to speak to the rock. Now, my question is, how do you speak to a rock? What's the form of communication here? Is the rock expected to respond? The commentator Aviva Gottlieb Zornberg suggests that the only way you talk to a rock is to hit it with a stick. <laughs> and that's what Moses did. That is, he acted as he usually did assuming that his authority would bring forth water. And since the people's thirst was great after Miriam died, he hit it twice. This was his way of leading. This is how Moses knew to enact the divine instructions. But if he did it right, Professor Weddle, because there's, I feel like there's the elephant in the room. There's a consequence here, no? I mean, no, gets a punishment, no. Doesn't it? I'm not saying he did everything right. I'm saying he did everything in the usual manner. Mm-hmm. This is Moses' style of leadership, and it will not be allowed to enter into the promised land. That's and I want to point out that all three of the original siblings who led the people through the wanderings, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, all die within two chapters of Numbers. God has eliminated the original leaders. According to the tradition, they all die by a kiss from God. Mm. That is, God literally takes their breath away. Mm. 
This is a critical change in administration. And what God is doing is clearing the way for a new form of leadership which will take place in the land of Canaan, a leadership by law, by rule. Now, my evidence for this is that there is one other event that is repeated at the beginning and at the end of the wanderings, and that is the taking of a census. So The people at the beginning right, are identified as a kind of death sentence. They are not to survive. All of them, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, disappear. Right, into it's the not just Moses and his brother and sister Aaron and Miriam that are not allowed into allowed into the promised land. It's 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 the entire generation. It's the entire generation for for two, it seems, or at least two of the men. And so God commands a new census. We have a new numbering of the people, a new people, a new land. And the reason given for this census is so that the land can be proportioned among the tribes on the basis of just distribution. Before that you, is to say, sorry, they sorry. are not the fight over the land. I want to keep keep us on topic for a moment. I, I know I want to go there in terms of the the need for new administration and a law uh, a law based uh, system as opposed to I guess a. Uh, more of a, of a personality based leadership. But I still, I, maybe I'm, the, I'm on my own island here, but Rabbi Brisky, it seems that th- there isn't denying that this, this patriarch, this prophet, who's also a man, also a human being, is, has a great, at the very least, confidence, but does seem to display at moments, um, anger or pride, or at least doesn't, you know, seem to follow orders exactly at times. And there's, even in the rabbinic tradition, there's constant references to him being immensely handsome and powerful and so forth. Are are we supposed to somehow, as interpreters of the story and as part of his people and lineage, to see something positive in Moses's strength of in the ego, as it were, is there a role for pride in the spiritual path? Is that part of what we're being told here? Absolutely. There's a time for pride. There's a time for confidence. Moses, if he's generating God, which that, that is literally that is his role. He's like a funnel with a wide top, and he's taking godliness from the one side, from above. And then there's this narrow part of the funnel where he drips it into the minds and hearts and nurtures the faith of the Jewish people. So when you're, when you're projecting godliness and you're simply facilitating the connection between God and the Jewish people, not as a middleman that gets in the way, but rather facilitates the connection between the two and you're a translucent, transparent middleman that doesn't take anything for yourself, then any pride that you're expressing, any pride that you see with Moses, whereas the average person says, well, if I had said something like that, everyone would say I'm, I'm full of uh, pride and ego. Well, no. If you have made yourself to be 
a, a communicator of God's word, then being prideful is being is letting God's pride shine right through you. And regarding the, I, I think mm, you know sometimes when God's you start these shine right through, it's beautiful. Yeah, when you think about ego, altruism, I'm not into, and the professor knows a lot better than I. This the semantics, I I don't know how to navigate, but I will say, I would say he's very intense. And the question is, you know, you call it pride. There's an intensity when he breaks the tablets. What's he doing? He's literally breaking the marriage contract, which is the only piece of of of, of legal um, material that bonds the Jewish people to the law of not having a golden calf. Mm. And so he breaks it, and of course everyone's picturing, you know, a contorted face of Moses. He breaks it, and then when God comes to him and says, I want to make a nation out of you, forget about the people, God, Moses says, I think you got this all wrong. Remember, I'm with that little sheep? Well, this flock right now are a bunch of lost sheep in the desert. I'm with them. So if you're going to destroy them, I'm with them. You got this all wrong. And the pride, the anger, all these terms that we use for regular human beings is misinterpreted with Moses. He's, he's intensely in love with his people, and he is intensely dedicated to them. Let's just address that intensity before we oh, go to can our I just, last break. Professor. Well, can I just comment on that? I mean, that is a brilliant insight, Rabbi. I think that what we're seeing here is that Moses is with the people, the generation that has been condemned to die in the wilderness, and he dies with them. I mean, I think that's a a marvelous example of how Moses' love for the people leads even to his joining them in death. Professor Weddle, I I do think that it's fair to note and give us a comparative religious perspective because I think it's fair to note that at the core of the, of Christian theology is the, uh, the extraordinary humility of Jesus. Uh, there's the, you know, in Islam, there's the, uh, I think Rumi says his best, said it best, be melting snow, wash yourself of yourself. There's a lot of references to elimination of the ego. It, it probably most, uh, the case in the Hindu slash Buddhist traditions, you know, the Buddha says, wear your ego like a loose fitting garment. And in fact, one could make the argument, maybe I'm, I'm fresh off this, uh, Zen retreat that I did this week, by the way, that was like, 80 plus percent of the participants were uh, 80 plus percent were Jewish, but the Zen retreat was all about getting rid of the, the ego. And yet in our Jewish tradition, we have our greatest patriarch who is Lohen, like not like the others, right? Not, not so like even his brother and sister, he stands above as the rabbi said, he's kind of part, part man, part divine. He stands above all the other prophets And at the very least, I think we can acknowledge that he is a strong, not always at least outwardly humble in certain instances. He's almost like he's a he's a political leader. He's a wartime leader. Um, It's a little bit. He cuts a different figure. Uh, And so does this say something about about Jewish theology? Is are we are, are is the Jewish faith more? Are we more open to? pride on, in, 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 as, as a means to godliness? Well, in Moses' case, I think pride in the pejorative sense doesn't necessarily apply. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, here's a man who is convinced he is carrying out the will of God. His own personal preferences have nothing to do with it. Uh, I believe what happened with this rock is just he was acting as he usually did. He was probably more surprised than anybody else <laughs> that he got condemned by God. Okay. I keep promising we're going to our last break and call her on line two. Please be patient. Professor Weddle, I'm going to give this question to, to Rabbi Brisky after the break, but simply put to our original question that we posited at the outset of the program, Moses, altruist or egotist? What's your answer, Professor Weddle? He's a supremely confident man working for the good of others. So you think it's a false dichotomy? I do. I think he's both. And I think most altruists have a strong sense of their own mission and importance, and they are very important. We'll be right back with Professor David Weddle and Rabbi Yossi Brisky. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. We're back on equal footing, and we're talking about our role—the role of the ego on our spiritual path—and we're doing so by maybe bravely, maybe uh, maybe at our own risk, looking at the the motivations or the 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 aspects of character uh, with our great teacher Moshe Rabbeinu. Caller. Be patient just for a couple more minutes. The timing of that break was good. We got some really good questions and comments that came in. But Rabbi Brisky, I promised to go to you with the question that we embarked with. Moses, altruist or egotist? Well, and I hope we get a chance to come back to that the rock episode. But I, I, I agree with the professor. It's, you know... It, and I, I also I agree with I agree with you though that it's you say it's risky to delve into this discussion because we want to be able to say that Moses is the best man the best person that we can be and yet when we read about him we say you know we start to see ourselves and not necessarily our best selves so we get a little uncomfortable you know you talk about someone uh, a rabbi. You know, rabbi means teacher, as I mentioned before, Moshe Rabbeinu. 
Do you define yourself by your position of power and authority in the room, or, or, or are you remembering that your whole existence in that classroom is for teaching purposes of a doctor? And if you go to Israel, the doctor is called a rofe, a healer. He is known by his, his role. He doesn't, he's not supposed to exist in, 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 in his ego and, and, and view this, this false confidence that he knows what he's doing. She knows what she's doing. She, you know, you're, you're not going to live more than two months. Hey, hey, your job is to heal. Moses defines himself, and this is what we could take from him. He defines himself what is my, how dedicated should I be to this people? He's altruistic. He's egotistic. He can be both. When you have nothing of your own and you define yourself by the people who are receiving from you, then I'll give you an example of ego in that context. If I look at my kids or my students and I say that I expect the best from them, you can call me idealistic. You can also, the kids and the students might think, I'm full of myself because of my demands of, of them and, you know, I'm too... I'm just too intensely uh, wrapped up in, in, you know, oh, you have to become like dad. You must be exactly like mom. But it's not the case. I, I look at you and I see major, major potential. I see you for who you are. And that's, that's Moses. He looks at the people and he says, these guys, I, I really can take it. And he's intense. And he has a brother, Aaron, who's the opposite. He's the easygoing guy who knows how to talk to the people gently makes peace between husbands and wives and 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 the blend of the two you know the the professor wendell is saying he's both i think that the two of them are both they have managed to blend the two and maybe highlight one of the two in their own way of leading and it says that every teacher leader should also have those two the intense idealism of moses and the soft recognition that sometimes those that receive cannot handle that idealism, not yet. It should come in small doses. And, you know, I, again, I don't know how it necessarily fits he, in to ego and altruism. This kind of goes with what you're saying a little bit. And I think this is, this is great. And this is funny, uh, Professor Weddle, because we actually, in one of our pregame discussions, talked very briefly about this. We're trying to figure out if it was going to make its way onto the show. But here it is, a listener. Uh, Miriam from Connecticut says that Moshe Rabbeinu is, in fact, much humbler than Jesus. Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Whereas Moses accepts his fate, accepts that he won't see the promised land. Professor Weddle, is there an argument, in fact, that the greatest patriarch in Humash, in, in, in the Jewish tradition, actually exhibits more humility? I didn't think of it exactly that way. He's accepting of his fate. There's no, there's no complaining. And what is it? I don't even, tell us, is that even a fair comparison that Miriam brings up? <laughs> Let me say a couple of things. One um, is that when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting, of course, from Psalm 22. He is uh, continuing in that Jewish tradition of protesting against what is seen as an injustice. 
The parallel here is between Jesus and Job. Now, another, I think, more important comparative point is that Moses, as the teacher of Torah, is parallel to Muhammad as the revealer of the Quran. In both cases, the human figure is the means by which we learn the Word of God in these two traditions. The Christians reverse that relationship. Jesus is the Word of God, the Divine Son, and the Bible, the New Testament, is simply the means by which we get to know about Jesus. So when we think about Moses, his primary loyalty is to the Torah. That's what he's there for, to mediate it and to enforce it. My point is that his means of enforcement are not what God intends for the people in Canaan. And therefore, none of these leaders are going to make it. All right, let's take a caller who's been patiently waiting for a lot of the program. Caller online, too. Let's see if we can get him on the air. Let's see. Caller, are you there? Good evening. Hello, Stan. How you doing? Are you going to join me Another on my island Another one of your great shows. You, yeah. What? <laughs> are you going to join me on my island here, concerned about... Uh, Where are you, uh, Rikers or Staten? <laughs> oh, Sheepshead Bay. What's oh, your, your, like your All right, let's get to it. Gentlemen, there isn't one religious leader and prophet in the history of Jewish people or any people that didn't have pride and an ego. None of them, or they never would have been written up in the books of life. None of them. Not even God himself, the greatest egotist of them all, okay, who basically said to Noah, you know, I've had enough of these people. I'm going to kill everybody, and I want you to be saved, and I'm going to put the animals in. Oh, really? And I'm going to kill, and we'll start all over again. What's, that is, what's, that what's is your, not I, egotist. What's your, I don't know what's what your is. question? To, to the question point. is, the very simple question is, all, don't you believe all of them had egos? Or they would never have been written up in the book. They had to have. Okay, let's focus in on the uh, on Moses the himself was yeah, one of the greatest egotists. So let's focus on the uh, on on the on the patriarchs in the Jewish tradition. Uh, Rabbi Brisky, do you agree with our caller? Yes, I agree that they all have ego. the The term can really be understood in, in many different ways. Uh, if we could focus on Moses, I, I'm not going to. I don't know if I'll, I'm ready to touch God. I'll leave that for Professor Wendell. But, but Moses, it says that he was aware that he was gifted with very special qualities of leadership, of selflessness, and he simply came to the conclusion that if someone else had been gifted with those same qualities by God, they would have done a better job unpackaging and utilizing those qualities. And that, that means that he's not being dishonest and fake, fake humility, which it could be the call to stand is, is, is referring to, like, hey, we're negating uh, an obvious... Uh, Moses was aware that he, was, that he has those special qualities. And yeah, so in that sense, he has an ego. It's but interesting, though, Rabbi, because humility, when he's first called on by God to, to uh, 
free the the people from slavery and takes them through through Exodus and so forth. He 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 basically says, "Can you pick someone else, please?" I mean, that's an act of great humility. He actually says something. Yeah, he actually says, "Why don't you pick the guy who's going to end up taking the Jews to the redemption at the end in Israel? Let him be the guy who starts and finishes this entire project." of guiding these people. And God says each phase is going to require a different kind of leadership. And by the way, he didn't say this, but we now know that that mode of leadership with intensity, idealism, is going to end, as Professor Wendell has said a number of times, there needed to be a transition to a different kind of leadership, a different kind of guidance that was not with the intensity of smashing rocks with sticks, but required working with the land, working with the world in tandem, in sync with the world and the and the realities of the world, and not just to to you know go all in with idealism. It didn't mean that Moses was wrong, and that's why he doesn't have a problem when God says you're done. He doesn't argue because he cares so deeply about the people. He just wants to know, okay, so who's going to take me over? Joshua, my student, wonderful. If that's what the Jewish people need, I expected better, and hopefully that will carry over. They'll also expect from themselves the highest levels of intensity represented by a staff smashing a rock, and they'll have to smash their egos and their own stupidity. But now it requires a different kind of guidance. No problem. I'm stepping aside until Mashiach comes, when the redemption is going to be is going to unfold. I'll step back in again. Moses will be there. We can go back to those expectations, the idealism and the pride that he had in his people. A couple of, we're going to run up on time. This is, we could talk a lot more time on this, on this subject, but I just want to quickly hit a couple of listeners, uh, points. One listener disagrees, and thank you, Stan, as always, for being, uh, direct and courageous in your comment, but one listener really disagrees with Stan and makes the point that, that Buddha, which you'd reference, or the Buddha's whole life story and theology and philosophy is about the abnegation of the ego completely. And, and so there, it seems like Buddha's not on that, on that <laughs> world stage, um, as a function of ego. We don't have time for the reactions there. Just reading a, a listener's question. Another listener, uh, comments says the following. And uh, this is, uh, Ricardo from, uh, from Austin, Texas. Humility is a tricky one. The very fact of inspiring humility is in, is in itself lack of humility. No. Moses, it seems to me, lived life in life, lived life under life's terms. And he goes on to say that he loves when you, Professor Weddle, mentioned that he found that Moses found strength in his people like a reflection uh, in a mirror. Okay. So uh, let's, we're going to wrap. I think we've got, okay. Uh, we don't have time for, for one more question here. So let's just sit in, in, as means of, of uh, putting a bow on this. Professor Weddle, if you could take the advocacy position that, in fact, Moses did have an ego problem. And I know we've gone through that there's a divine order and that he was Moshe Rabbeinu, the teacher, and even in the, even in the instance of what seems like pride and what seems like punishment, there's lessons there. And of course, that, that's another position which um, maybe Rabbi Brisky can articulate further here to close us out. But Professor Weddle, is there an argument, and can you make it, please, in this most, uh, the strongest of terms, that in fact Moses was an egotist, primarily? 
Well, earlier you, you made the more significant comment about an ego problem. Uh, the, the tradition has been at great pains to try to figure out what it is that Moses did that warranted a death sentence. Uh, it has been suggested that... Or not a death sentence, him. but not being able to see the promised land yeah, in his lifetime. Yeah, exactly. But I, but I agree with the rabbi. It's because Moses' job was done, and God was permanently retiring him. By the way, I I, I, don't I can't do... resist. I'm sorry, Professor, when I interrupt, interrupt you, but a listener uh, calls on me to quote Franz Kafka: "Moses failed to enter Canaan not because his life is too short, but because it is a human life." So it goes to the the grand order of things, but. But I, I want to hear, I want to hear that argument. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be up on time. I, 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 we have that position. Rabbi Brisky then close us out with the argument that it's an illusion if we think of, of Moses in the terms of, of ego and banal humanity, that in fact it was all altruism. Is that a position one can take? Yeah, I, you know, I obviously, uh, as a person growing up, it's the Lubavitcher Rebbe who is, for me, the Moshe Rabbeinu of our generation, and I, I saw it firsthand. The fact is that what makes a person great and full of pride is the ability to selflessly take pride in the people they're serving. And I truly believe that a Rebbe, a Grand Rebbe, a Moshe, ultimately they... <laughs> when Moses is told to make the Jews look bad by speaking to the rock and then implying that you Jews have gave, given me a hard, given the God a hard time for 40 years, he's like Jonah, you know, who runs away. He doesn't want to tell the people of Ninveh about the, the need for repentance because he's scared it's going to make the Jews look bad. I got to take care of my people, the Jewish people, and I, I can't make them look bad. It's the same Moses from the breaking of the tablets so that the marriage contract is broken, Understood. so there's no we're, we're infidelity. Up on, we're up same, on time. Same like him. Rabbi, thank you. Professor Weddle, thank you. Hope to have you on again. Thank you both. Very good. My pleasure. Take care. Yes, I understand that every life must be end. Uh-huh. As we sit alone, I know someday we must go uh-huh. Oh, I'm a lucky man to count on both hands the ones I love. Some folks just have one, yeah, others they got none. Stay with me, oh, let's just breathe. All my sins never gonna let me win oh, oh. Under everything, just another human being oh.